Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number 32. That's where we are in our study here on Sunday evenings, walking our way through this book. A study that we began, uh, I think it's been now maybe uh, maybe going on two years now. We've been hanging out in Exodus and uh, we are for the last several weeks been at the uh, the back half of this of this chapter, chapter 32. If you don't have your Bible with you this evening, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, uh, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word and follow along with us as we continue working our way through uh, our study in Exodus chapter 32. And there's several things that have already happened at this point uh, in the story. You know, you catch up to speed and then we'll tackle the section here, Lord willing, verse number 15 uh, down to verse number 28. But what's already happened in the story is Moses gone up to the mountain and God has called him up. Moses went up to the mountain with his minister, Joshua. Joshua went halfway and then stopped. Moses continued the rest of the way up. And there the Lord has given to Moses all the writing of the law, all the commandments. He gives him the Ten Commandments, but he also gives him the rolling out of the Ten Commandments that we've already been studying. That's the end of chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, all of those passages. The Lord Lord gives that to Moses while he's on the mountain. And, and the instruction for tabernacle worship, when the people come near me, here's how the people are allowed to pro- approach me. This is the instruction that God is giving to Moses on the mountain. And then you have two scenes that are happening. You have this other scene, meanwhile, back on earth, right? Meanwhile, at the base of the mountain, you have the children of Israel. They come to Aaron. They say, Moses has been gone for a while. Moses is delayed his coming. That was the very beginning of this chapter. Verse number one, Moses has delayed his coming. He's been gone 30 days. Uh, He's obviously not coming back. Build us an idol, build us a statue. Man, Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, right-hand man, he takes all the gold from the children of Israel. They throw it into the fire. He fashions this, um, uh, this golden calf of which they bow down, they worship, they sacrifice, they do pagan things. So God's people, worshiping these pagan deities in pagan ways at the bottom of the mountain while the Lord is on top of the mountain with Moses saying, here's how my people are to worship me. How we worship God matters. How we worship the Lord matters. We worship the Lord not in our own ways, our own preferences, but we worship the Lord the way that he instructs us to. Where do we receive that instruction? We receive that instruction from his word. And this was happening on top of the mountain. Man, God sees his people uh, worshiping this golden calf at the bottom. He tells Moses, we tackled this last week. He tells Moses, Moses, step over to the side. I'm about to uh, righteously and rightly judge this people for their sin. And God really invites Moses into this, uh, uh, this, this role as a mediator. Moses steps forward. He mediates this thing between uh, the righteous holiness, indignation of the Lord turned against an unrighteous holy people down at the bottom. And man, Moses, for the first time in all of his leading, Moses is now beginning to act like God, right? He's, he's following the Lord in his leadership. He's becoming like the Lord, which is what we should all strive to be in our own ways. And man, Moses intercedes for the children of Israel. We took away a lot of important lessons. And we, we pray for the people that we care for. And Moses prays for the Israelites because Moses, for the first time in all of the book of Exodus, finally cares for the people of Israel, right? He's, he's finally turned. He's, he's no, no, Lord, don't, don't do this. Don't, don't do away with him. Moses prays to the Lord because Moses understands that the Lord, man, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man can avail much. The Lord hears and answers our prayer. These are wonderful reminders for why, that, for why we should pray. And so now the intercession has been done, and now Moses is going to go back down the mountain. That's where we're picking this up, verse number 15, all right? So if you have your place there, Exodus chapter 32, verse number 15, let's stand together if you're willing and able, uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 32, verse 15 down to verse 28. 
So Moses turned. Remember verse 14, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to the people. Right? So, so the, Lord, the Lord had a change of mind. He's going a different direction. Verse 15, and Moses turned and he went down from the mount. And, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. The, the tables were written on both of their sides. On the, on the one side and on the other, they were written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, and neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass that as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf. This is, this is the he, all of these directed at Moses, okay? So Moses said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Moses is the one who says, it's not them that are crying because they're overcome. Moses is the one who said, it's, it's the noise of singing that I hear. And, 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 at it, and as he came to the camp, he came nigh to the camp. Moses comes near the camp and Moses saw the calf. He saw the calf and the dancing and Moses's anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and he break them beneath the mount. You should mark several words. Moses's, several phrases. Moses' anger waxed hot. He cast the tables out of his hands. He break the tables beneath the mountain. He took the calf of which they had made and he burnt it in the fire. And he ground it into powder and he strawed it upon the water and he made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Uh, listen to verse 21. What did this people unto, th unto thee that thou, you, have brought this great sin upon them. And Aaron said, uh, let not the anger of my Lord wax. I whoa, just, okay, okay, I, I know it looks bad. It looks really bad right now, but just calm down. Let's think about it. Hold on a second. Let me, let me get an answer. This is like catching your children in the middle of fighting with their brother or sister. Uh, it's not what you think. Okay, let me get an answer. Here's his answer. Uh, you, thou knowest the people. Well, you, you know what these people are like. You know what these people do. You know what these people think. You know what these people say. You, remember? The stiff-necked people of er, earlier in the chapter, right? You, you know what they, these people are. And they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, make us gods. We shall go before us. For as for this Moses... The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what has become of him. We don't know where he went. So Aaron, you do this, you do this for us. And I said unto them, well, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. And so they gave it to me. Then I, I cast it into the fire and there came out this calf. Is that... What are we, in eighth grade? Like, this is the best excuse we have, Aaron? I don't know how this candy got in my pocket, but oh, wow, I didn't know that candy was there, right? This is the best we can do. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, I'm in verse 25. When Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Are, are you catching where all, where all the responsibility is resting? You catching where all the responsibility is resting? Aaron, what did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin on them? Hey, hey, Aaron, you made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Now let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Now, now you, you, you can't, don't go too far forward. 
The, the, the Levites have not been named to the order of priest yet. Now, if you're, the Bible students in the room, you know that the Levites will be named to the order of priest. But they are not named as an order of priest yet. And in fact, this incident right here is one of the reasons why they get named to the order of priests as they are. Who is on the Lord's side? The sons of Levi and this, this tribe of Levi, they all gather together unto Moses. And he, Moses says to them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate, from gate to gate, throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Wow. Wow. Verse 28. And the children of, it, and the children of Levi did. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. Don't, don't miss it. What a tragic, what a tragic scene. And there fell among the people that day about 3,000 men. And there fell among the people that day about 3,000 men. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. I pray that you teach us great lessons about you, your love, your expectation for us, your will, your desire for our lives. I pray that you would lead us to holiness, righteousness, Christ-likeness. I pray that you would show us those areas of our lives where we're making excuses. We're making excuses for our disobedience instead of being obedient the way that we know that we should. Then I pray that you would help us as we observe the elements of this table. May we realize, Father, just why it is that we aren't slain with the sword as well. Just, just how is it that a people can miss a judgment of which they rightfully deserved? And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Lord has obviously seen what the children of Israel were doing at the bottom of the mountain. Moses is yet to see it. And Yet Moses has gone to the Lord on behalf of the children of Israel. He's interceded for them. The Lord's relented himself of completely destroying the people. And now Moses comes down. And as Moses comes down the mountain, you see three things in this chapter. Moses comes down the mountain, you see three things, three sounds. You have the sound of singing. That's verse 15 to verse 20. You have, you have the sound of shifting, that's verse number 21 down to verse number 25. And then you have the sound of the sword, that's verse 26 down to verse 28. Three things, three sounds. The sound of singing, the sound of shifting, and the sound of the sword. All, all three playing out in the passage. Notice the sound of singing. Joshua says, I, I hear something. It sounds like people crying at the bottom of the hill. Remember, Joshua doesn't know what Moses knows. Joshua, Joshua doesn't know that the children of Israel are in the, at the bottom of the mountain. They're doing something. Moses doesn't know all that they're doing. But Moses knows it's, it's bad enough that God is set in going down and destroying them for their wickedness. Right? That's, that's all he knows. He doesn't know anything about the golden calf. He doesn't know anything about the, uh, the dancing. He doesn't know anything about the pagan worship. He doesn't know anything about that. But what he knows is they're doing something at the bottom of the mountain. And so now as he descends, Joshua meets him halfway. Joshua says, I, I hear something. I'm not, I'm not exactly for sure what it is. Look at verse 7, 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, there's a noise of war in the camp. It sounds like war that's happening at the bottom. Moses instructs him further. Look at verse number 18. It, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry of overcoming, uh, of being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. Now, now normally you would think that this is a good sign, right? The, the sound of singing is normally a good sign. You normally aren't worried about your children if they're in the other room and they're singing, Right? They're in there singing Baby Shark. I don't know, I don't know what they're singing, right? But they're, they're in the other room, they're singing. You're not normally going, oh no, the, it's World War III in our family. You're not normally worried about the sound of singing. And yet in this situation, that's exactly what it is. 
Very interesting. The, the last time the children of Israel were singing, they were singing praises to God for God having brought them across the Red Sea. And you have Moses' song, an entire chapter of Moses' song about how the children of Israel singing to the Lord this great song of victory of how God has delivered them. Now here they are again singing. Obviously, we understand from later in the text, dancing, this, this, this pagan worship around this, uh, this, this golden calf. And you have those who once sang for the king of the universe, now sing for a golden cow. Those who once stood on the banks of the Red Sea and sang about their great God now stand at the bottom of this mountain and they're dancing and they're singing for some golden calf in idol, in idol. I mean, they were at one point living in obedience. I mean, they were at one point courageously following the Lord. They were at one point going strong after God. And now here they are giving themselves over to idolatry, going after the idols which they made while Moses was away. And listen, it's a small distance it's a small distance between your praise, worship, and honor toward the Lord, obediently going after God. It's a small distance between obediently going after God and then going after idols. You see, this, this is what we think. We, we think, well, that, that's, that's not, I would, I would never do something like this. I, I would never go from the banks of the Red Sea singing praises to God for how he strongly delivered us with his strong hand, how he brought us out of Egypt, how he delivered us from this captivity. No, I would, I would never do that. It's a, it's a small distance between praising God on Sunday and then living like a pagan on Friday. That that gap is not as far as you think it may be. This stands as a great reminder that none of us should think we stand. We should all take heed lest we fall. We should all take heed lest we fall. I remember going through... Bible college and pastoral classes and often in pastoral ministry classes, you, you tend to hear story after story of disaster. A, a pastor was fired from this church. A, a pastor had to leave the ministry because of this reason. A pastor fell in sin because of, you know, an indiscretion, whether it was with a member of the opposite sex or because of anger or generally because of, of money or, or, or a number of things. You hear all these kind of stories as you're going through your, your, your ministry training. And I remember our instructor telling us, and it, it, the, the word stuck with me. I remember him saying, you, you, should, you should trust the Lord, but you should fear your own heart. You should trust the Lord, but you should fear your own heart. And you know what he's striking at? Don't ever think that it can't happen to you. Don't, don't ever think that it can't be just one step. This is, this, would be, this is the instruction. Sin lieth at the door. If you only realized how close it was, crouched down, ready, an adversary walking about, just looking for someone to devour. Who is the one that the, the adversary is devouring? That person who thinks he's standing. I, I'm good. I don't, I don't need all this Bible stuff. I'm, I'm good. I don't need all these, these this, righteous living. I, I'm good. I don't need all this sanctification going after God. I'm good. I don't need all of this mortify the deeds of the flesh through the work of the Spirit. I, I'm, I'm good. I don't need all that, Pastor. You should be careful. There's a small distance between praising the King of the universe on the banks of the Red Sea and dancing for a cow at the bottom of a mountain. It's a short distance between praising God on the banks of the Red Sea and dancing for a cow at the bottom of the mountain. It's been three months for the children of Israel. Exodus is three months long. It's been three months from standing here and going, praise God for his strength. To, well, Moses delayed his coming, so let's just, let's just do what we got to do now. Don't ever think that any of us 
are above falling. Look, at, look here. Look here, pastoral staff member. Never think you're above falling. L- look here. Look here. Look here, teacher. Never think you're above falling. Listen closely, deacons. Never think you're above falling. Z- zero in Sunday school teachers. Never think you're above falling. L- listen here, Sunday night church attendance. It's the spiritual people. Never think you're above falling. Because the moment you think, I got this. Sin, do- sin, doesn't, sin doesn't have me. I got sin. Sin doesn't got me. I got it. No, 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 no. The minute you think that, you're falling. The minute you think that, you're falling. It's a small distance. Notice this. Notice this delight. You, you, you see the children of Israel? What are they doing at the bottom? It's like they're oblivious to what's happening on top of the mountain. They're completely oblivious to what's going on on top of the mountain. God is telling Moses, here's how I want my people to worship me. They're completely oblivious at the bottom of the mountain. They don't even realize that Moses ran intercession for them. It's another good lesson. That, That sin doesn't normally make us miserable in the moment. Sin doesn't normally make us miserable in the moment. In fact, if, if sin made us miserable in the moment, we wouldn't do it. This is the instruction from the Word of God. There's pleasure in sin for a season. This is really what the power of sin is. This is what the lure of sin is. Sin seems for a season to be pleasurable. Sin seems for a season to be normal. Sin seems for a season to be desirable. But, but if sin came to you, knocked at your heart and said, hey, hey, I got, I got a sin for you to do. I got, a, I got a way for you to dishonor the Lord. I got a way for you to break God's word. I got a way for you to, to, to fracture relationship with him. I have a, it's this lie or this illicit relationship or, or this boasting or this pride. And listen, while you do this, you're going to feel awful while you do it. If that's how sin came to you, you would never do that. This is why sin in the moment normally is not miserable, but sin in the moment seems normal, seems reasonable, seems delightful. This is why we should guard against saying things like, well, it's obviously what I'm supposed to do because I feel so happy while I'm doing it. I feel so fulfilled while I'm doing it. So that is the reason why I must continue doing it. We've, we've done this already, but Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your feelings lie to you all the time. Think about the way your feelings have changed even toward green beans over the last 10 years of your life. Think of, the, think of the way that your feelings have changed. This is why those can't, your sense of happiness, your sense of fulfillment, your sense of feeling, your sense of rightness or enjoyment or whatever it is, it can't be the deciding factor for you. Well, if I don't do this and, and, and it make, doing this makes me happy and if I don't do it, well, then I won't be happy. This is why this is a terrible way to decide right and wrong, truth and error. There there are many people in this world who are happily sinning their way to hell. There are many people in this world who are happily sinning their way to hell. So, you're closer than you think you are. Sin, normally in the moment, doesn't seem miserable. But it, but it always is. Verse 19, Moses' anger burns hot. So it's an interesting phrase. And it's interesting because do you remember the last time we heard this phrase? The last time we heard the phrase of my anger is hot, my wrath is set, right? Just, just go back last week. Who, who, who just had the same sense, right? God. Again, this is showing Moses' spiritual maturity. This is just showing Moses' maturation process where, where the things that delight God delight Moses. The things that move God move Moses. The things that anger God anger Moses. 
This, this is what we mean when we say things like be filled with the Spirit, go after the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Think God's thoughts after Him. Think, feel God's feelings after Him. F see the world the way God sees the world. Do, do this after Him. Go after Him in this. It's, a, it's, the same, it's the same idea. It's the same concept. Moses comes down the mountain. He sees the camp. But he's not a happy camper when he sees the camp. Because for the first time, Moses sees what the Lord had already saw. Remember, the Lord sees much more than you and I see. He's in, when the Lord's on the mountain, he sees the children of Israel. Now Moses comes down the mountain, winds down the mountain. Joshua says it's a noise of war. Moses says it's a sound of singing. I'm not for sure what it is. And then when he gets down there, he sees what the Lord had already seen before him. And in Moses, verse 19, look at it. It came to pass, as soon as he came out of the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and he brake them beneath the mountain. Okay, this is, this is why this is important. This, this phrase is so important. Here's why. Because it looks like, it looks like Moses is taking a very spiritual, a very important tablet of which God wrote with his own finger. And it looks like Moses is just trashing it, right? That's what it looks like. Moses got mad and Moses is anger. And now he comes down and he sees and now in his anger, he just trashes something good, right? And what, we're, what, we, what, we're, what we tend to do with this text is we tend to pull back a little bit from Moses and then we set ourselves up a little bit high. We stick our chest out a little bit because we're, you know, we're religious. And we say things like, Moses is getting mad. Moses is angry. Obviously, Moses is not spiritual. And then I can tell you, I've read commentary after commentary. They lecture Moses for his anger. Now, no, it's true. Moses is a man given to anger. Remember the Remember the, remember the Egyptian that Moses, is, that Moses kills because the Egyptian was beating Moses' uh, Hebrew, Hebrew brethren, right? And then he drags the man over and he buries him in the sand. He thinks he can get away with it, right? And then later on, you fast forward, Moses, he's supposed to speak to the rock. The people are stubborn. They're stiff-necked. So Moses is like, I'm tired of talking to the rocks. Crack! And he cracks the rock. The water comes out. And both of these things, this is what's interesting. Both of these things the Lord rebukes Moses for. You know who never rebukes Moses in chapter 32? The Lord. It, there's lots of commentaries and lots of pastors have tried to rebuke Moses for his anger. But you know who never did? God. Why? Because there is an appropriate righteous anger. Here's, here's how our world thinks. Our world thinks the opposite of love, the opposite of love is hate, right? The opposite of love is hate. The, op the opposite of love is not hate. The, the opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is indifference. So, so if, I, if, I, if I really love you and I see you running out into the 710, the, the opposite of love is I see you running the 710. Oh, how tragic. There goes Brother George again, running on the 710. I just really love that guy, but look at him playing in the 710. He's probably going to get ran over by a semi-truck. How sad would that be for nobody? Oh, I just really love him. It just really bothers me that he plays in the 710. It just really, really, really upsets me. I just can't believe it. I just love him so much. At what point would you go, Pastor, do you really love Brother George? Because if you really love him, why you let him play in the 710? Like, if you really loved him, what would you do? Hey, hey, come on, Brother George. You're really losing your mind. We were all wondering. Now it's confirmed. But let's get, let's get you out of the 710. I love you enough that I'm going to get you away from the 710. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love, not even hate. The opposite of love is indifference. So why is Moses provoked? Watch. This will help you. 
Why is Moses provoked to anger when he sees the people worshiping a cow at the bottom of the mountain where the people had just made a covenant with God that they would worship the God of the universe, the God who had delivered them? Don't don't forget, just a few chapters earlier, at the bottom of this very same mountain, this people said, oh, the, the God of the universe is our God. We will serve him and no one else. What he says to do, we will do. Let his words be rang out throughout all the camp. Whatever God wants, we want. Now fast forward, Moses delays his coming. Moses comes down the mountain. He sees this very same people. Look, in the very same spot where they pledged allegiance to God, they worship a golden cow. Moses' anger wax hot. He takes the tablets, throws them on the ground. It's, it's, it's symbolic more than it is anything. It's symbolic because here's what he's saying. You've broken covenant with God. What's Moses getting on top of the mountain? Moses is getting covenant with God. Here's how God desires to be worshipped. Moses is getting covenant with God. He comes down the mountain. The children are worshipping a golden cow. And you know, Moses is breaking the, coven, breaking the tablets, and it's symbolic. You've, you've broken covenant, and you've broken it into a thousand pieces. Moses breaks the tablets, and then in this really weird event, don't you think this, this part of the story was kind of strange? Moses then breaks the calf, right? So, so here, here we go, verse 19. He, he, he throws the tablets out of his hands. He breaks them beneath the mount. Beneath the mountain is very, that's a very important phrase. Verse number 20, he took the calf, which they had made, and he burnt. So, so what, how does he break the calf? Well, he burns it with fire, he grounds it into powder, and then he puts it into their drinking water, and then he makes them all drink it. How strange is that, right? You, you, you think I'm a mean leader. Look at this guy's doing, right? He's contaminating their drinking water. We put new drinking fountains in the hallway so we, we wouldn't have contaminated drinking water, right? If Moses, if Moses he's like, you broken covenant with God. And he's like, this is your God? You want to worship this God? Watch what I can do to your God. He breaks it. It's probably a wooden statue underneath the gold that's overlaid, which is why he can, he can burn it with fire. He breaks it. He burns it. So now you, get, you have to imagine this like sludgy mud gold mess. Then he takes all of this. He pours it into the water that they're drinking, and then, he, and then he makes them drink it. This cannot be good for your digestive tract. I just, I don't know all the effects that that would have had, but that can't be good. Again, it's symbolic. Here's what he's saying. If this is your God, and I can break him, and I can burn him, then he's no God. If, you remember what the children of Israel said to the cow? What did they say to the cow? The, the cow is the one who freed us. The cow is the one who set us free. The cow is the one who saved us. The cow is the one who's delivered us. The cow, oh, we all love the cow. The cow is so powerful. And here's Moses. Moses, you missed the point. The powerful one in all of this was God. You broke covenant with him, and now you're worshiping this God. And this God is broken, and this God is burnt. And this God can be dumped into your drinking water. Wow. The sound of singing. Number two, the sound of shifting. Verse 21. Verse 21. And and as as I go through this, I want you to think the difference between spiritual maturities, spiritual immaturity. Moses stepping into spiritual maturity, interceding. What, What brings God happiness brings Moses happiness. What brings God anger brings Moses anger. Moses is stepping into spiritual maturity. And while Moses is stepping towards spiritual maturity, Aaron is stepping into spiritual compromise. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? So, so he says, surely, Aaron, surely this people, did they take you hostage? Did they beat you up? Did they tie you down? Is that the reason why you gave in to them? No. Remember verse 1? When the people saw Moses had delayed to come down the mountain, they went, they gathered themselves unto Aaron, and they said unto him, up, make us gods. 
up, make us gods. And notice spiritual maturity. The spiritual maturity of, of Moses. The spiritual maturity of Moses in that he does not minimize sin, but he calls sin what it is. Look. Look at verse 21. Look at the word of God. That thou hast brought so great a sin. Spiritual maturity sees sin as exceeding sinful because that sin is against the Lord. And we have a way of minimizing sin. And we have a way of trivializing sin. We have a way of downplaying sin. Moses, Moses steps into spiritual maturity because Moses is not willing to minimize sin. L listen to spiritual immaturity. Listen to the spiritually immature. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Moses, don't get mad about the stuff God gets mad about. Moses, don't feel the way God feels. But Moses, don't see pagan worship the way God sees pagan worship. Now, let, let not that anger wax hot. Watch. Three excuses. You know the people. What was Moses' question? Moses, Moses asked Aaron, Aaron, why did you do such a great sin? Why, 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 why did you lead the people into such exceeding sin? And here's, Moses, here's Aaron's answer. It wasn't me. It was them. It wasn't, it wasn't me. They came to me about this. That's the only reason I did it. Spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. The only reason I did this was because they said that. Moses, spiritual maturity, refuses to minimize sin. Aaron, spiritually immature, what does he do? He minimizes his own sin by pointing his fingers at everybody else. I wouldn't have done that, but who does that sound like? Are, are, you, are you hearing any tones of Adam in the garden? It wasn't me, Lord. Lord, Lord, it wasn't me. The woman thou gavest me. Oh, that, that's real manhood right there, right? Every woman wants a man like that. It wasn't my fault, God. It was her fault. Same, same undertone. It wasn't me, it was them. Aaron's excuses. They demanded for me to do that. Spiritual compromise, spiritual immaturity always happens when we would rather please people than God. Spiritual immaturity happens when we would rather please people than please God. Number two, watch this passive excuse. It was the people, watch this, because the people told me, verse 23, for they said unto me, make us gods which shall go up before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what has become of him. Moses, it's their fault. Watch, excuse number one, Moses, it wasn't me, it was them. Excuse number two. Moses, it wasn't me, it was you. I, I only did what I did because you took so long to come down from the mountain. Couldn't you send us a text message or an email or a phone call? You had Joshua, your assistant, send him down. Tell us you'll be back in a minute. Moses, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. Moses, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault. Now, that's, that's an interesting trick. You see how sneaky sin is? You see how sneaky sin is? He blames the leader. Oftentimes when you confront the spiritually immature about their sin, they redirect to someone else's fault. 
Oftentimes, when you confront a spiritually immature person about sin, they redirect. Uh, 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 not me, them. No, no, not, not me. You. Uh, last one. Watch this. Moses, you, you didn't get here in time. So verse 24. I said unto them, Well, whatsoever, ha- or whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. And they gave it to me. And... and and then I cast it in the fire, and there came out a calf. Okay, here, here's all that happened, okay? I don't even know how this cow got here. Because it wasn't, it wasn't really my fault, it was their fault. It wasn't really my fault, it was your fault. And so what I did, because you weren't here, obviously, and what I did because they came to me is I just said, give me your gold. I took, all, I did, all I did was take the gold, throw it in the fire, poof, a cow popped out. And we started dancing around it. Are you kidding me with this excuse? And we laugh, and we laugh at this, and we should because it's ridiculous. But man, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. What was me? It was, was me? It was. I don't even know how I got here anyway because I, mean, I was just doing. I was just reading my Bible. I was just doing spiritual stuff because I'm a spiritual person. And then. Spiritual maturity happens. Listen, spiritual maturity happens when you stop looking for excuses for your sin. Spiritual maturity happens when you stop looking for excuses for your sin. Aaron would have been much better served if he'd said, you know what, Moses, you're right. This is my sin. And I led this people into a sin that's so great because it broke covenant with God. And it wasn't them, and it wasn't you, and it wasn't happenstance. It was me. It was me. Aaron serves as representative that way. As ridiculous as Aaron's excuses sound, our excuses to God for why we sinned against him will sound infinitely more ridiculous on the day of judgment. The reason I didn't serve you was because them. The reason I didn't obey you was because of him. The, the reason I didn't obey you, well, I didn't even mean to. It just kind of happened. As ridiculous of the excuses are that Aaron uses, our excuses will be just as ridiculous when we stand in front of Jesus. Spiritual, immature people always looking for an excuse for why they don't have to serve Jesus, why they don't have to obey God, why they don't have to. Spiritually mature people are always looking to the Lord, eyes on Christ, pleasing Him. I'm doing what I do for the Lord. I'm obeying God. Which are you? Which are you? Last one, and we'll go, we'll go to the table. The sound of the sword. Moses stands at the gate of the camp. Stands up. Shouts out. Who is on the Lord's side? Powerful moment. Let him come to me. All the sons of Levi gather themselves unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side. Go in and out, gate to gate, throughout the camp. Slay every man his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day 3,000 men. Let me give you three thoughts about the sword. Every sin has a consequence. Every sin has a consequence. The consequence for this sin 
is that in some way, those who were leaders in this event were marked by God. Perhaps it's similar to what the Lord calls um, the, the, the leaders of Israel to do in Deuteronomy. When a woman is caught, caught in, a, in adultery, she denies it. There's no proof. She drinks the water and somehow the water helps the men to discern whether she was or wasn't caught in adultery. I don't know. Maybe it was the men who drank the gold water were glowing. So when Moses says, put your sword on your side and go through the camp, maybe the Lord gives them spiritual eyes to see who's glowing with this, you know, toxic that they've drank. And then they go through the camp and they find whoever the people are that are glowing. And those are the ones that are off where their heads. Many commentators would tell you that they assume that these 3,000 men that were killed were the 3,000 men who perhaps were the, the leaders in this. And so as leaders, I mean, you got to think children of Israel are 2 million people strong probably at this point. So 3,000 of, of these men were probably representative of the leadership of Israel. And so through the camp, the Levites go and they handle business that way. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was, these were the the leaders, these were the leaders of the tribe, these were the guys that were glowing because they drank the water, or just because God highlighted them, put an arrow over their head, like, swing here. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I just know it happened. It, every sin has a consequence. Every sin has a consequence. Number two. Number two. You and I don't get to decide what that consequence is. You and I don't get to decide what that consequence is. So when we commit sin, sin has consequence. You and I, once the sin has been committed, and now we're subject to the consequence of whatever that sin is. Number three, every sin will be judged. Every sin will be judged. The wages of sin is death. So here's what's interesting. We read this story, and, and, and you'll see this next week, but at the end of the chapter, the Lord sends a plague throughout the camp. You get to the New Testament, Paul says 23,000 fell that day because of worship. So likely that that's what, this is the story that the Apostle Paul is talking about. 23,000 people in Israel died because of this event. And when we read that story, we go, that doesn't seem right that God would kill that many people. I mean, they, they, you know, it wasn't their fault. It was Aaron's fault. It wasn't, it was, right? And we find ourselves making excuses for them. But, but, but hear me. Do, do you remember what God's instruction was to the Canaanites who worshipped pagan gods? Do, do you remember what God's instruction to Israel to do to Canaanite people, Gentiles, non-believers, what God's instruction to Israel to do to Canaanite pagan worshipers. Do you remember the instruction? Kill them. See, the judgment of sin is the same on the righteous or the unrighteous. The judgment of sin is the same. The wages of sin, death. Yeah, but I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. Wages of sin, death. Yeah, but I go to church. The wages of sin, death. And whenever sin enters into the equation, it always brings with it death. Now, here, here's the good news. Aren't you glad we don't exercise church discipline like this? Up, deacons, grab your swords. Go through the church. And whoever's not on the Lord's side... It's obviously not the way that we exercise discipline today. And yet, church discipline is exercised even today. And yet, there's a consequence for sin even today. And yet, judgment falls because of sin even today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for this cause, the cause of sin in the, in the church... For this cause, many are sick and weakly among you, and many sleep. For this cause. What cause? Cause of sinning. For this cause, many are sick, weakly among you, and many sleep. We should see sin as the Lord sees it, as an exceeding, great, dishonoring, disobedient act to a holy, loving God who has provided a way for us to come in to worship him. 
So, let, me, let me take it all the way to the table, then we'll have the invitation, we'll be done. All the way to the table. Watch. Why doesn't the sword fall on you and me? Why doesn't the sword fall on you and me? Here's why. Because Jesus went under the sword for us. That's what we're celebrating at the table. Because Jesus left heaven, found in the form of a man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus went under the sword, watch, so you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus went under our judgment so you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus took our payment so you and I wouldn't have to. And what we celebrate at this table is we celebrate that. We celebrate the great spiritual truth that Christ came for sinful men. These men died because of sin. Jesus died for sin. There's a difference. There's a difference. These men died because they had sinned. Jesus died for our sin. Not because he sinned. He dies for our sin. So those of us who've sinned, what do we do? We take the sin to the Lord. We, at one time in your past, put your faith and trust in Christ. And then as we press on toward this Christ-like life, as we press into that, what do we do? Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Stop making excuses for sin. Don't minimize it. See it for what it is. It's an exceeding great offense that breaks covenant with God. And then realize that God has filled you with his spirit. He seals you for himself. And the great work that God has done in you, he will complete at the day of eternity. God will be faithful to see the work all the way through. God will be faithful to see the work all the way through. So why aren't we slain? Why don't we hear the sound of the sword? Here's why. Because Jesus heard it for you. Because Jesus heard it for you. So our hearts should fill with joy. Our, our, our hearts should shout with joy. The sound in our hearts should be sound of joy because of all that God has done for us.